Good evening. Um, it has been quite a bit, but welcome to eTalmud 2.0. We're going to start where we left off, which is on Chagiga 10b, Yod Amud Beis. It's right at the top. Um, we're going to look at a part of the Mishnah that we had quoted, that we had read. And the first part that we're going to analyze tonight, or today, is Chagigot, Chagigos. Um, for those of you um, looking in, it's the second line in the regular text of the Gemara on Yod Amad Beis on 10b. Let us begin. Chagigos. Um, so we're talking about the laws of the Chagiga offering. Um, and what the Mishnah had said is that they're like um, mountains suspended by a hair. In other words, there's not much scriptural basis to teach us about the Chagiga offering, which we've been talking about since the beginning of this tractate, um, and that we only really know it through oral tradition without much scriptural basis, without much basis in the Torah's words. So now the Gemara is going to ask, Michtav Ksivan, what do you mean? The laws of Chagiga are written very clearly in the Torah. As the Pasuk says, as the verse says in Vayikra, and you should celebrate it as a festival for Hashem. And we understand that when it says you shall celebrate it, the Chagosem, um, it's a reference to bringing the celebratory offering, the Chagiga offering. So the Gemara answers, Lot no. When we talk about the law of the Chagiga offering being suspended by a hair, it's necessary to say that. In other words, we have to say that it doesn't have that scriptural basis because of the following question. Because Rav Papa himself said to Abaye, From where do you know that when the verse says in Vayikra, and you shall celebrate it as a festival, to Hashem, how do you know that, that is a, that's making reference to a sacrificial offering? Maybe it's just referring to celebrating. You shall celebrate. Maybe the Torah is just saying to celebrate. So that is Rav Papa's question to a that is Rav Papa's question to Abaye that the verse that you that we are just taking for granted that says you shall celebrate that we take for granted that it means that you should take bring a special celebratory sacrifice a Chagiga sacrifice how do you know that maybe it just means that you should celebrate the Sukkot festival so now we're gonna answer Rav Papa's question. Um, uh, so we're kind of going off on a tangent, but as of right now, the point here is, is that we see that Rav Papa didn't see that it was clear from the verse that you're supposed to bring a Chagiga offering. Hence, it's appropriate to say that it's one of those laws that are suspended by a hair. But now we're going to have to answer Rav Papa's question. And in answering it, we're going to see that there is scriptural source for the Chagiga offering, which then would bring us back to our original question, which is... Why are we saying that the Chagiga offering is a law without scriptural basis? Okay, but now for right now, we're going to answer a Papa's question. But wait a minute, if you're going to say, but if that is the case, that the verse does not refer to a Chagiga offering, but wait a minute, there's a Pasuk, there's a verse that talks about Moshe and Aharon coming to the Pharaoh and saying, send out my nation, and so did God say that they will celebrate 
with me or to me in the desert. And are you going to say that there what it says you're going to celebrate Rav Papa? That it's there where it says to celebrate, it just means to celebrate a festival? And if you're going to say, yeah, that's exactly what it means there. But wait a minute, we see very clearly that Moshe tells the Pharaoh, that not only are you going to send us out, Pharaoh, even you will place in our hands zivachim, um, special um, festival offerings, and olot, burnt offerings. So we see very clearly that there, when Moshe was referring, telling the Pharaoh that we're going to celebrate, it was obvious that it meant bringing a special type of offering. And if that's the case, here too, when Hashem tells us to celebrate on the festival of Sukkot, it must mean a special type of offering should be brought. But now the Gemara is going to say that's not the case. No, perhaps this is what the Torah meant um, when Moshe was telling the Pharaoh um, that he was going to supply them with with zvachim ve'olot, all that he meant was ichlu u'shesu v'chogu chaga kamai. All that the Torah was saying is that um, is that Moshe was telling the Pharaoh, send them out so that they can rejoice, meaning have a festival with God. And that which Moshe told the Pharaoh that even you are going to send zvachim and olot, that doesn't mean you're going to send sacrificial offerings to be brought. Rather, you're gonna send, um, you're gonna send um, meat to be slaughtered um, and meat to be cooked, so that you will be taking part. You will be adding to the celebration of the Jewish people. But you definitely cannot say that from this verse of Moshe speaking to Pharaoh that you see that celebration necessarily means um, bringing a sacrificial offering. So now we're going to try to bring another proof that when it talks about celebration, chag, it means a chagiga offering. Lo salkadaitach. No. Do not let it enter your mind to say that um, the word celebrate does not mean bringing a sacrificial offering. Because the verse says, because the Pasuk says that do not leave the which means the fat of my festival, do not let it remain overnight until the morning. So here we see that we have the word of the fat of my festival. And what does festival obviously mean? If you're going to tell me that the word festival here just means celebrating, or a festival, like a regular holiday, do holidays have fat? Rather, it must be when it says here the words of my festival, the fat of my festival, festival must mean that you bring a special Chagiga offering. And then, of course, it's referring to the fat of the Chagiga offering. But now the Gemara is going to say that that's not so simple. Perhaps this is what the Torah is telling us when it says you shall not let the fat of my festival remain overnight. Not that there's a special festival offering called the Chagiga, but rather... That the fat of offerings that you voluntarily bring during a festival, they cannot remain overnight. So the Torah is just telling us that if you're bringing a sacrifice on the festival, you're not allowed to leave the fat overnight. 
Elameata, but according to this, Habab is manchag hu delo yalin, hadachol hashana kula yalin. But according to this, the inference is wrong, is, is off. Because according to this, you'd be saying that the fat of a sacrifice brought on the festival cannot be left over. But the inference would be then that if it was um, that fat that is, you know, the fat of any sacrifice brought during the year that could be left over till the morning. But that can't be because the verse says very clearly by the carbonate of the rest of the year, by the burnt offerings of the rest of the year, kol halayla ad the verse specifically says when it comes to the Ola um, that it's that it's supposed to stay all night until the morning. So it has to be burnt, completely burnt by the morning. So don't tell me then that the verse means uh, that the verse that talked about the fat of the festival just means a the fat of a voluntary sacrifice you brought at the, at a, during the festival cannot remain overnight, cannot remain till the next morning. Because the inference is wrong. We already know, we we already have a verse that teaches us that sacrifices in general cannot remain until the morning. So rather it must be that what that verse is teaching us is that there's a specific um, there's a specific sacrifice that's brought on the holiday, which is called the Chagiga, and the fat of that sacrifice as well is not allowed to remain past the past the night. But then we say, no, Dilma, perhaps when the verse tells us about the fat of my festival, it does not mean the fat of a Chagiga offering. Um, rather, maybe what it means is the fat of a voluntary offering brought during the festival. Um, and now what about that question of we already know that the fat of offerings brought during the year, just brought in general, cannot remain until the morning. So um, what's this verse teaching us? So we would answer, If all we had was the verse about the burnt offering, that it cannot stay until the morning, um, we would have thought that that was just a positive commandment. We would have thought all you have is a positive commandment teaching us that when it comes to sacrifices, um, you shall you shall burn the fat before the morning. And this verse that talks about the fat of my festival, it's not a reference to the fat of the Chagiga offering, but what it's coming to teach us about is that the fat of a voluntary offering brought on a holiday, not only is there your usual positive commandment to burn its fat before the morning, but there's also a negative commandment that you're not allowed to keep it until the morning. So what this verse is really teaching us is an extra negative commandment in addition to the positive commandment that already existed. But then we say, wait a minute, Lilav, you're telling me that it's coming to teach you a negative commandment about keeping the fat of a voluntary offering that you brought on the festival that you're not allowed to keep it past the morning? Kasav Krachrina, but you already have another verse that teaches us this. The verse says, the verse clearly says, Nor shall any of the flesh that you slaughtered on the afternoon before the first day remain overnight until the morning. So here we have a negative commandment about sacrifices in general, not specifically ones brought during the holiday, where there's also a negative commandment against leaving the fat over till the next morning. So then we say, so if that's the case, then what would you, when we talk about this verse that's referring to Chalev Chagi, the fat of my festival, as a reference to 
as it being a negative commandment specifically addressed to a voluntary offering that you brought on the festival, we already have a negative commandment against bringing against keeping fat until the morning. So then we say So then we say perhaps um, this extra verse when it comes to the fat of my festival is coming to give you another negative commandment that specifically applies to the fat of a voluntary offering that was brought on a festival, to, which would then be that for all other sacrifices, there's a positive and a negative commandment against keeping fat until the morning. And for a, a sacrifice brought on the holiday itself, then there is two negative commandments and a positive commandment against keeping it the fat until the morning. So, so far what we're saying is, is that we don't really have a clear scriptural basis then to um, for this idea that you have to bring uh, for this idea of a korban chagiga, a special holiday sacrifice. So how are we going to answer, which was Rav Papa's question in the first place, where do you have a scriptural basis for it? So now the Gemara is going to answer, Ela asya midbar midbar. Rather, we learn it as exera shava. Um, exera shava is a special way of expounding verses. And what it does is, is it sees an extra word in one verse, and it sees that same extra word in another verse. And it says that there's going to be a lesson that um, that one verse will teach the other. I mean, you can learn something unique that's unique to both of those verses because they both share the same superfluous word. So what is the superfluous word we're looking at? The word is midbar, midbar. Two verses that have a word they didn't need. And what is that word? Desert, midbar. Ksiv hachav midbar. Here it says, this is again, this is Moshe speaking to the Pharaoh, and they will celebrate to me in the wilderness. And you don't have to say in the midbar, you don't have to say in the desert. And there it's written, This is a verse in Amos, so in the prophets. And there it says, Did you bring to me offerings and meal offerings in the desert? Just like in that verse in Amos, we are referring, there's an extra word of desert, and we are referring to um, sacrifices. So, so too here, when Moshe is speaking to the Pharaoh, and you have the word desert, it must, and, and you have the word, and you're talking about celebrating, it must be that that celebration was through sacrifices. And that's where we know then that the word celebrate, v'chagosem, is a reference to bringing a celebratory sacrifice at Korban Chagiga. So now we have the question, if we, in fact we have exera shava, which is a very legitimate form of exposition of expounding verses, and we have exera shava then teaching us that the word, where it says the word chag, celebrate, it means to bring a zava, it means to bring a chagiga, it means to bring a chagiga offering. Then why did the Mishnah says umai kaharorin hatsluyin basaara? Why does the Mishnah say that the chagiga offering is like mountains suspended by a hair? It has a very good basis. It has a very good scriptural basis. It has the Gzeira Shava. So we answer, We don't usually learn from the prophets to teach about the Torah. We usually don't learn like that. So here the Gzeira Shava is a verse 
the Xer Shava that we are saying is uh, using one verse in Exodus, which is from the Torah, the five books of Moses, and one verse from Amos, which is the prophets. And we usually don't make Xer Shavas between a verse in the five books of Moses and a verse in the prophets. So because that is how we know that you're supposed to bring a Chagiga, or that the word Chag, celebration, means to bring a Korban Chagiga, that's not a very, that's not considered strong scriptural basis and that's why we say that it's like a mountain suspended by a hair it does not have strong scriptural basis we are relying on the oral tradition of our sages <clears throat> okay let's go um further on in 10b um uh, we're talking now about a new topic mi'ila the topic of mi'ila is this idea of misusing consecrated property, uh, misusing or, 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 yeah, misusing, misappropriating um, property that belongs to the Beis Hamikdash, to the Holy Temple. Um, and if you, then that's called mi'ila. When you misuse or misappropriate this, it's called mi'ila. If you do engage in mi'ila. Um, if you do engage in Me'ila, then you um, have to pay to the Beis HaMikdash, to the temple, the value of the benefit you derived, plus a penalty of one-fifth. And you also have to bring a special offering, which is an Asham Me'ilos, um, an Asham Me'ila, which um, it's a special offering that helps you atone for your transgression. And what the Mishnah said about it is that the laws of Me'ila are like mountains suspended by a hair. They don't have much scriptural basis. So now the Gemara is going to ask, but wait a minute. Um, but now the Gemara is going to ask, sorry, Mechtav Kesivan, that what are you talking about? The laws of Me'ila are very clearly written in the Torah. So why are you saying that they're like a um, they're like a mountain suspended by a hair? So now the Gemara is going to answer. Amar Rabbi Barachama. Rabbi Barachama explains. Lo when the Mishnah says that they are like mountains suspended by a hair, it's only referencing one law, specific law of Meila in the following Mishnah, and it's referring to a shliach, which is an agent. Um, and what happened was. Is um, let's read it. Hashliach sha'asa shlichuso bal habayis ma'a. If an agent redoes his agency properly, then we say that the sender is the one that does meila. So the case is as follows: the sender had consecrated uh, money, money that was consecrated. He forgot that it was consecrated, and he sent an agent to go and buy him, um, to go and buy him pants. And the agent went and bought him pants, not realizing that this was consecrated money. So what we're going to say is, is that the agent himself, although he used consecrated money for mundane purposes, buying pants, because he did it under the um, as an agent of somebody else, of the sender, we're going to consider it the sender's transgression. He is the one that is guilty of me'ila. But if the agent did not fulfill the agency correctly. So instead of buying pants, he bought him a shirt. So he didn't fulfill the agency. So then we say it was the agent himself that is guilty of Me'ila because he didn't follow the agency. 
So now we're going to ask, Now the question is, is when the agent does successfully fulfill his agency, why is it the sender that's guilty of Mi'ila? He didn't do anything. It was the agent that misused the money, not the sender. Are you going to say that you can have a scenario where the agent sins, yet it's the sender that's going to be liable, is going to be guilty of Mi'ila? We have a very, very well-known concept that that there's no such thing as becoming an agent to do a transgression. It was the it was the agent that did the transgression, not the sender. And because the Mishnah says that that's not the case here, which is different than normal, where we do say that it would be the agent that gets the is that is liable, that is guilty. That's why we say that's why our Mishnah says that there's a law of Mi'ila that is like a mountain suspended by a hair, and it's referring to specifically this case where it's it's counter to all of our other cases in the Torah where the agent um, who does an Avera, who does a transgression, is the one that is ultimately guilty for it. Amarava, but Rava says, Umay Kushya, what exactly is your question? Why is this ruling so difficult to you? Dilma shiny Mi'ila, maybe Mi'ila is different. Diyalfa chet chet mitruma. Because we learn Xera Shava between two, again, Xera Shava, you have two extra, you have an extra word, the same word in two different places. We can learn something about those, as we can learn from each other, from the from each other in those verses. And maybe what we're going to say is, is that you have the word chait or sin when it comes to Mi'ila, and you have the word chait or sin when it comes to Truma. And maybe what we're teaching you is, is ma'hasam shlucho shal adam kamoso. By truma, you have a specific verse that teaches us that although throughout the rest of the Torah, if an agent does a transgression, the sender is not guilty, but truma is different. That if the agent does a transgression, the sender is guilty, shlucho shal adam kamoso, that the agent is like the sender himself. Afkan, so so too, here, based on this gzera shava, learning Mi'ila from Truma. By the way, Truma is gifts that we give to the Kohen our, um, from, our, from, our, from our agriculture, from our produce. So Afkan, Shlucho Shal Adam Kamosa. So, so too here, by Mi'ila, we'll say Shlucho Shal Adam Kamosa, that the agent is like the, I'm sorry, the agent is like the sender, is considered like the sender. Even if he transgresses, the sender is the one that's going to be guilty. Um, and then if that's the case, then no longer do we have a scenario about in Mi'ila where we would say that it's like um, a mountain suspended by a string or by a hair, I'm sorry. Because in this very case, we have a, a perfectly legitimate Zera Shava to teach us this law. Ella Amarava, rather Rava said, Lo Ella what we really need this Mishnah that describes Mi'ila as being a mountain suspended by a strand of hair, we need it for the following b'raisa. Nizkar bal habayis v'lo nizkar shliach. If, again, what happens is, is you have that the sender sends the agent to buy him a pair of pants with consecrated money, and he doesn't remember that it's consecrated. 
we say that if the sender remembers that the money that he gave to the agent is consecrated money um, before um, um, you know before the agent bought the bought bought the pants then we say shliach ma'al. Then we say the agent is the one that is guilty because the moment the sender would have remembered that it was consecrated property, he would have canceled the agency. And even though the agent himself doesn't know that the agency's canceled, the agency's canceled. And therefore, when the shliach, when the agent buys those pants, it is completely his transgression. So the question would be shliach anya my ka'avid. What did this this poor agent do that he should be liable? He had no idea. Meaning, it's understandable that we would say this sender is no longer liable because he would have canceled his agency. But why would the agent be liable? Why is it any different than a case where the sender didn't remember? In neither of these cases, um, why should the agent be liable? All he's doing is fulfilling the orders or the agency of the sender. And because we still say the agent is liable, which is counterintuitive, we say, this law of mi'ilah, this specific law that the agent is still is going to be liable if the sender cancels the agency, um, that is like a mountain suspended by a strand of hair. In other words, there's no scriptural basis for this. It's We only know this through the oral tradition of our sages. Amaravashi, Baravashi says, my kusha. No, what's the question? This makes total sense. Dilma midi the hava amotzi mos hekta shechulun. It should be no different than somebody who uses consecrated money for something that is mundane, for something that is secular. If you do that by mistake, you're still going to be liable. And that's exactly what the agent did. The agent took consecrated money, used it on something secular, used it on something mundane, and therefore he should be liable. Um, and therefore, this law cannot be described as a mountain suspended by a hair, because in fact, this is the logical, um, this, 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 is, this is exactly a case that has scriptural basis and is the logical conclusion. Rather, Ella Amar Ashi, rather of Ashi says, Lo nitzacha el chetetnan. We all, it's not, no, it's necessary for the Mishnah to teach us that there's a law of mi'ilah that is like a mountain suspended by a hair for the law in the following Mishnah. Natal evin okora shal hektish, if somebody took a stone or a beam from hektish from the temple's treasury, hareze lo mal, if you only took it, you're no, you're, at that point, you're not yet considered guilty of mi'ilah. But if you gave that beam or that stone to your friend, then you, the taker, are guilty of mi'ilah because you now have um, misappropriated it. You gave something that belonged to Hektish to somebody else. And the person that receives it, he is not guilty of mi'ilah. So now we're going to ask as follows. Michti and Mishkal Shakla. Now wait a minute. In both of the cases mentioned in this Mishnah, he had already taken the stone or the beam. Malihu, why does it make a difference if it's he himself that's taking it? Umali Chavero, or, or if he takes it and gives it to his friend. Just taking it alone, that should be when Mi'ilah happens. So what are we saying here? That doesn't. This doesn't seem to make sense. 
Rather, we only know this through oral tradition. We don't have a scriptural basis for this specific law. And that's why, this is the example, this is the case that the Mishnah describes as uh, that is a law of Me'ilah that is like a mountain suspended by a hair. But now we ask, Umay Kushya, what do you mean? What's the difficulty with this ruling? Dilma Kiddushmuel, maybe this Mishnah is like Shmuel explained. The Amar Shmuel, because Shmuel said, Hacha, here, Begizbar Hamasuros Lo, I'm sorry, we're now at uh, Yod Aleph, Amad Aleph, 11a. And, we're t- and what Shmuel is saying is that that law and that Mishnah is referring specifically to a Gizbar Hamasuros Lo Avnei Vinyan Askinon. We are specifically dealing with, Askinon means we are dealing with a Gizbar, a temple treasurer, to whom the building stones were entrusted. To Cholhecha Damancha, because wherever they rest, meaning wherever they rest while still on his property, Bershusa Dide Mancha, they still are his. They're resting in his possession. He was specifically given them. He was entrusted with them. So by him just taking it into his home, for instance, a beam or a shrock into his home, it, at that point, no mi'ilah has happened because he was entrusted with them by the temple treasury. It's only once you give it to somebody else where you're then taking it out of the temple treasury's um, domain. That's when mi'ilah happens. Elame Seifa. Um, but if so, if that's the case, then then this makes total sense. And then we're back to asking, where is there a case of Mi'ila that is considered like a mountain suspended by a hair? And let's stop here. And I will try to do 11a, Yod Al, finish, Yod Aleph, Ahmed Aleph, tomorrow.